This is Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Coming up, we'll review the top stories from an historic week where longtime House Speaker Michael Madigan lost his seats he's held for decades, the passage of major changes to the state system of justice, and more. Plus, we'll get commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb about Madigan, the legislative priorities they would like to see, and red light cameras. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Hi, this is Chris Krug, publisher of The Center Square. Our team produces the nationally read and recognized news stories at TheCenterSquare.com, the country's fastest-growing, nonprofit, nonpartisan, state-focused news and information site. We deliver essential Illinois news and information with a taxpayer sensibility through reporting that's easy to understand and easy to share with your friends and family. We know that you want to get a quick update on what's happening at the state capitol in Springfield and across the state. Our team writes short, impactful stories that help all Illinoisans understand what's going on in their home state. We know that you need information that allows you to understand what the governor and your local legislators are doing. Our team covers government and the activity of elected officials so you can make sense of how their activity affects you and your family and your future here in Illinois. We know Illinois because we live in Illinois. Get the news that you need to know at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com. Thecentersquare.com. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Here's some of the top stories from the past week. New Illinois House Speaker Emmanuel Chris Welch isn't just the first black speaker in Illinois history. He's also the first speaker since State Representative Michael Madigan. Madigan held that spot for all but two years since 1983. During the nomination Wednesday, the first day of the new General Assembly, State Representative Maurice West nominated Emmanuel Chris Welch. He will be a speaker who will be confident in placing power in the hands of the committees where deliberation of thought will either strengthen or block legislation. State Representative Delia Ramirez seconded Welch's nomination. Freshman State Representative Amy Ellick nominated House Minority Leader Jim Durkin. That was seconded by State Representative Jeff Kiker. When we are tired and drained like many of us are today, when the battle has worn you down, a leader like Jim Durkin is the one who can lift us up. After a roll call vote, Welch got 70 Democratic votes. Durkin received 44 Republican votes. Welch thanked his predecessor for his tenure. While our state has many problems, our schools are better, more children have access to health care, and our working class families can more easily live the American dream. But House Minority Leader Jim Durkin said Madigan ruined Illinois with his decades of power and poor policies. Durkin said that's evident by the ComEd bribery scandal revealed last year. The legacy is also one which failed its citizens with unbalanced budgets, broken pension systems, tax increase after tax increase, with nothing to show for it. In a statement closing out the 101st General Assembly, Madigan wished Welch, quote, all the best. On the eve of Welch's election to Illinois House Speaker, media reports highlighted allegations against Welch made by women. After conducting his first session Wednesday as the new speaker, Welch told the media that reports of abusive behavior against women are behind him. People mature. They do. They look back and would do things differently, handle situations differently. Uh, and I think my life's work here in the legislature shows my respect of women. 
Madigan had his office rocked with allegations of mistreatment of women, both at the state house and within his political operations during the peak of the Me Too movement. Madigan's maintained, despite the repeated reports of improper behavior in his office, that he never fostered a culture of harassment. Welch must also contend with having a close relationship with Madigan. Durkin said one way Welch can distinguish himself from the culture Madigan brought forward is to bring about fairness to the House rules, which Madigan's controlled for decades. We want to make sure that when we have bills that they will have a fighting chance for at least a hearing and for an up or down vote. That's all I ask for. Welch said House rules will be among the first things that he's open to addressing. Possibly make changes. Possibly make a lot of changes. I don't know what those changes are until I have these conversations that's going to take place pretty quickly. Leading up to Welch's election to Speaker, Durkin said that Welch will be an extension of Madigan, but Thursday Durkin said he hopes to work with Welch to leave the past behind them. Durkin also said he doesn't anticipate filing another petition to have the House investigate Madigan's involvement in the ComEd bribery scheme. Before closing out the previous General Assembly under Madigan's control, the Illinois House of Representatives passed a criminal justice bill that some say will transform police practices all throughout the state. Kevin Bessler has that report. House Bill 3653 will drastically change use of force guidelines, require body cameras for every police department in the state, end cash bail, and strip collective bargaining rights relating to discipline from police unions. The primary sponsor of the legislation is Representative Justin Slaughter. We just want to say thank you for for everything, listening to us, the time, the energy, the effort that you've put into it. The time is now, the time is now to go from protest to progress. I ask for a yes vote, Madam Speaker. The legislation, which is the work of the Illinois Legislative Black Caucus, has faced opposition from law enforcement groups and Republican lawmakers. The bill passed by a 60 to 50 vote. Immediately afterwards, Slaughter put a black glove on his right hand and raised his fist into the air. I'm Kevin Bessler. Meanwhile, Cole Lauterbach has a look at action the previous legislature took upon closing the term out Wednesday after hours and hours of early morning session. In addition to the new House Speaker and the Black Caucus's policing reforms, Illinois lawmakers sent to Governor J.B. Pritzker bills that would allow for at-home liquor delivery and a bill to grant interest to personal injury lawsuits. But some measures failed, including a bill that would have split Illinois law from a COVID-19 relief measure that would have allowed businesses to immediately write off tax losses from 2020. Illinois Republicans called it an 11th hour tax hike that the state has become known for, but Democratic Representative Ann Stava Murray said failing to decouple with federal tax law would deepen the state's budget deficit. When we're talking about taxing businesses out of existence, that's a, a bit of an overreach. This is a deficit increase if we don't pass this. It could be refiled in the new session that started. I'm Cole Lauterbach. A state lawmaker says the Illinois legislature might have to flex its appropriations muscle to get information from the Pritzker administration about the state's fraud-plagued unemployment system. Fifthian Republican State Representative Mike Marins for months demanded action to address problems his constituents are facing, like being asked to pay back unemployment benefits they've already received. That's a huge issue back in my district with small business owners, particularly uh, hair salon owners, uh, you know, people that aren't getting rich by any means. So we need some answers to those situ situations. The Pritzker administration said it could take weeks to implement the recently approved waiver for those overpayments, but it's been months. Hoffman Estates Democratic State Representative Fred Crespo has been demanding information on other problems to no avail. He said if lawmakers don't get answers, they may withhold funding. The governor cannot spend any money unless we authorize it. So I think hopefully we'll have some influence and they'll take note that uh, during the appropriation process, 
If they don't meet us halfway, give us the information that we need, we might just decide, hey, you know what, we're going to hold up some of these funds, even federal dollars. Some are under the impression that federal dollars just go straight through the governor. They need appropriation. They need authority to spend it. So we control that, and hope, hopefully now that we'll be back, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll see that and be a little bit more responsive. I've done that before. I, I, you know, it's as an appropriation share of general services, I've cut the uh, revenue uh, agency by 15%. Uh, former uh, lieutenant governor, I've cut their their budgets by 25%. It's not a threat. I think it's more uh, take it as an education. Uh, they're new and make sure they understand the process. Unemployment driven by pandemic-related business slowdowns and government-ordered shutdowns has ballooned in Illinois. Just last week, there were another nearly 97,000 initial unemployment filers. Illinois had the fifth largest increase of weekly unemployment claims in the U.S., according to WalletHub. The consumer finance site tracks the numbers and found filings from the last week were nearly 770% higher than they were at the same time in 2019. COVID-19 restrictions in regions of Illinois that meet certain metrics the Pritzker administration has laid out may be able to relax mitigations. A restaurant association wants things opened statewide. Earlier this week, Governor J.B. Pritzker said if a region of the state has a COVID-19 test positivity rate below 12%, greater than 20% hospital capacity, and a decline of COVID-19 patients in the hospital all over three days, they may be able to relax restrictions beginning Friday. If we maintain adherence to mask wearing and social distancing and make sure to get vaccinated when it's your time, we will experience a robust recovery that I know we all look forward to. Even with the relaxation, the governor said there are still restrictions on restaurants in his plan. But the Illinois Restaurant Association Thursday said there should be immediate safe and limited indoor dining allowed statewide. They said their members make up only 4% of total COVID-19 outbreaks since July 1st, but the indoor service prohibition has been in place by the governor for months, longer than any other state, they said. State Representative Mike Murphy said the industry knows how to do it right and is reaching a breaking point. We are just going to find a dying industry here in the next month or two if we do not figure something out. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot said it's now time to focus on getting restaurants reopened. I want to get our restaurants and our bars reopened as quickly as possible. Murphy said the statewide prohibition hasn't really been enforced uniformly from county to county. I had one one individual reach out to me and they lost three weddings. There are the banquet facilities. They lost three weddings and they only went another 10 miles across the county line where they're allowing it. And, you know, this was thousands of dollars. This, this is the difference of this person being able to make payroll or not. An emergency rule for businesses to enforce masks and social distancing in Illinois stands after a motion to suspend failed a legislative panel. The Joint Committee on Administrative Rules, or JCAR, does not approve rules, but they can block them. After a mask mandate rule last year was repealed by the governor, the Pritzker administration filed a modified rule, which was allowed to stand. That mandate expired January 4th, but was replaced with a third rule. On Tuesday, JCAR member State Senator Paul Schimpf motioned to suspend the rule, saying there's been ample time for the legislature to pass a law requiring masks if it was necessary. And we really, uh, we need to get back to the system where the legislature makes the laws and the executive branch enforces them. And Spillane, the governor's general counsel, called into the meeting and said that they don't want the legislature to make anything permanent as the COVID-19 pandemic remains fluid. I think that's correct. And obviously to come back to all of you in 150 days to let you know where we stand and where we think the science stands 
and have a discussion. The emergency rule remains in effect until June, until the governor repeals the rule or JCAR takes any other possible future motion to suspend. Those are the top stories from the past week from Illinois. Find more online at thecentersquare.com. Coming up from Illinois in Focus, commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Illinois in Focus's Crosstalk segment. This is Chris Krug, publisher of the Center Square, based here in beautiful Illinois, joined again by my colleague and friend, executive editor Dan McCaleb. Dan, what is happening on this crisp January Thursday? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm happy to be back this week, uh, Chris. What an historic news week it's been uh, here in Illinois. Uh, perhaps one of the biggest stories uh, we've covered on uh, Illinois in Focus is uh, more than two-year uh, history. Um, why don't we just jump right into it? Yeah, let's talk about it. So um, Michael Madigan, uh, who had been the Speaker of the House, a Chicago Democrat, um, again, had been the Speaker of the House since uh, you and I were in grade school, uh, which is quite a long time ago is no longer the Speaker of the House for the state of Illinois. Emmanuel Chris Welch, Chicago Democrat, became the first black man in Illinois history to be named Speaker of the House this week. Talk to me about Chris Welch. Talk to me about the process. Let's jump right into it. You are listening to Crosstalk. This is commentary powered by the Center Square. Well, this historic change in leadership in the House, as you mentioned, um, since we were in grade school, Michael Madigan's been Speaker of the Illinois House That's since 1983. He's been Speaker of the House, just consider this, 36 of the past 38 years. So if you're listening to this now and you're 35 years old, Madigan's been the only Speaker you have essentially known. Um, it all started last summer with the uh, ComEd uh, bribery scandal. Madigan was implicated in that. Um, some Democrats, after decades of just blindly putting their loyalty behind uh, Madigan, um, started to pull away, and his his power uh, started to be chipped away at, and uh, it it sort of snowballed in the past week uh, to the point where it was uh, looked like for certain that Mad Madigan was not going to be able to obtain the sixty votes, uh, the majority of votes needed in the House to become uh, the next speaker. Um, so Democrats behind closed doors, of course, started taking uh, some straw polls and uh, Representative Emanuel Chris Welsh um, uh, from the Democratic Black Caucus uh, emerged as the uh, leader. And on Wednesday, uh, he was historically elected the first black speaker, eliminating Madigan's tenure, uh, his, his stranglehold essentially on the position. So, Dan, um, Chris Welch kind of came out of nowhere on this one. I mean, for a, a in the view of a lot of people, uh, there there were a handful of of reps, Democrats, and uh, and one Republican, uh, Jim Durkin, who um, had sort of openly lobbied for the opportunity to be the Speaker of the House. Um, how did Chris Welch get this done, and and why ultimately did the did the Democrats who hold a supermajority in the House? Why did they ultimately? go with Chris Welch? Well, it largely happened behind closed doors, so there's some speculation involved. Uh, Chris Welch is um, was a Madigan lieutenant, um, so I think that Madigan still had his supporters among the Democratic caucus in the House. I think he, when he realized the writing was on the wall, 
um, and that he was not going to, he did not have enough votes to become the, uh, the new speaker. He put his uh, support behind uh, Representative Welsh, which certainly um, pushed longtime uh, Madigan supporters that way. Um, but yeah, there were other candidates, most notably um, uh, uh, Stephanie Kifowit, who mm-hmm. announced last year was the first Democrat uh, last year to say, hey, Madigan needs to, first Democrat in the House, I should say, Madigan needs to go. It's time for new leadership in the House. She stepped up. So even though she did not have the support to become the next speaker, I do credit her bravery. Finally, someone uh, in the Democratic controlled House was brave enough to stand up for the speaker. So it's progress. But we'll have to, we're going to have to put this in context too. Chris Welsh is a Mike Madigan uh, Democrat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's going to be concerns. Yeah, Madigan might not be speaker, but is he going to be pulling the strings um, down the road? Is he going to still have significant influence over Rep- Representative Welsh? I should say now Speaker Welsh, excuse right. me. Um, so so and, and to that point, um, Mike Madigan said what exactly upon the uh, election? of uh, Chris Welch. Well, <laughs> he's he was very self-serving. He he said he wished the representative Chris Welch um the best. He uh, said it was it it probably was time for new leadership um in the house, but he said of course um and we're, I want to talk about his legacy here and Matt Madigan's legacy in a second. I, I will but, not but, I will do not deny I will not deny you that opportunity. <laughs> but he of course but, but, but we don't have 38 years. So I mean, so you're going to have to condense it. I, I've, I've got a bullet point uh, oh, okay. a notepad in front of me, so I can uh, get a fifty-seven page slide deck. Right? Okay, let's go. <laughs> of course, Madigan said he has worked; he's done nothing uh, for the past thirty-plus years, uh, but to help Illinois and Illinoisans, um, even though the evidence, which I'm about to, which we'll talk about here in a second, y- even the evidence suggests otherwise. Yeah, that I'd also like to to review the definition of the word helping. Uh, just to make sure that I'm clear on this, I, I, I could be, I could be, I could be lost. He's a public um, servant, Chris. He spent uh, his career serving the. Oh, okay. All right. F- f- fair enough. Um, uh, are, are, have you completed your, your, your review of the, uh, of the Madigan uh, contributions? Is, is it, is it, is that now ended? Do we move on from here? I'm still or, taking or, notes. I, okay. Um, well, all right. Just a few. Come on. Just a few highlights. Okay. Fair enough. Let's. You live in Illinois. You're listening to the show. You know Illinois has been fiscally insolvent for de- for years, maybe even decades. Let just a reminder. Madigan's been Speaker of the House for all since two years, but all for all but two years since 1983. Mm-hmm. We have had budget deficit after budget deficit after budget deficit for well over a decade under Speaker Madigan's leadership. Even though the state has a constitutional amendment requiring a balanced budget is passed by the legislature every year. We haven't done that in well over 12 years because of gimmicks and tricks and borrowing and uh, and other accounting uh, tricks that, that uh, he's been able to pull. That's one. We have the most significant pension debt, public pension debt in the nation. We have five state public pension systems, you know, everywhere from teachers to uh, college professors to you know regular state employees uh, to legislators uh, themselves our 140 billion dollar pension debt is largest per capita in the nation no one touches us future taxpayers are going to have to pay that back we have a zero rainy day fund we have no money in reserves to get us through troubling times like oh covid-19 the pandemic mm-hmm. um, we have the worst 
credit rating in the nation. We're one step above above junk bond status. And what that means is when Illinois does need borrow money, which it does every year to pay its bills because it doesn't balance its budget year in and year out, um, taxpayers pay significantly higher interest rates on those borrowed dollars um, than any other state in the country. Okay. Despite all that, you know, uh, we've got all these fiscal problems. We must not uh, bring be bringing in enough money, right? There must not be enough not enough tax revenue. Yeah, it sure sounds like a revenue problem to me. Dude. Right? Wrong. Illinoisans pay the highest taxes, combined local and state taxes in the nation, with the exception of maybe New Jersey. Um, study after study, national study, unbiased studies of state uh, tax policy across the nation put Illinois and New Jersey. One or two, just flip them depending on the year mm-hmm. or the study, uh, as paying the highest taxes in the nation. That is Michael Madigan's legacy. Well, I appreciate that. That was a, a, a five a five point bullet list. Um, was that only? Well, I could I, go I, on. I, I was trying to I was trying to funnel them down. I was trying to also keep to keep to keep count. I mean, I I guess you know some of my fondest memories of the of the Madigan era would just be his his gentle demeanor and his willingness to 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 lead you know on the benefit and or on the behalf I should say of all Illinoisans and and the way that he, you know that he basically has steered us toward a, a future of prosperity here where mm-hmm. our, our children can sort of live free and prosper. <laughs> I realize you jest there. But oh, but gosh. but this topic to me, I, I have a hard time joking about it. Right. In addition to all those financial stuff we talk about, he created a culture of harassment in Springfield where women were sexually harassed in and out. He ignored it. He let it happen. Um, only after the Me Too movement came to light nationally um, did these things start to come out here in Illinois. Still no ethics reform under Madigan's leadership. Yeah, he fired a few people because um, it became public that they were sexual harassers uh, or just harassers in general he had to fire a few people years after it was ongoing um mm-hmm. it's just it was time for him to go i'm glad he's gone i wish chris welsh uh speaker welsh the best i hope he takes a completely different path than speaker madigan did well let's talk about that because and you know in in, in all all seriousness as we bring this back i mean the, the state of illinois is 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 comical and and forgive me i tried to bring some level of levity to the to the pain here. Um, Speaker Welch, <laughs> I'm do- Dan, I'm doing the best I can. Speaker Welch, upon um, having the uh, scepter handed to him, um, said he possibly will make a lot of changes. I'm not quoting that uh, necessarily, you know, word for word. So let me let me quote that word for word. Possibly make a lot of changes. That leaves a, a pretty wide berth there. I possibly may not make a lot of changes. I may not make any changes. Right. I make make some changes. Possibly make a lot of changes. And, and that's interpret that uh, for me, please. Well, that's another thing that's worrisome about the you know the the passing of the George from Madigan to Welsh. Is Welsh going to operate just as Madigan did? One of the one of Madigan's other legacies was setting the rules for how the house operates. Um, if legislation uh, was introduced that Michael Madigan did not like, he would send it <clears throat> to the rules committee where it would die. It would not get a public hearing. It would not get any uh, hearing whatsoever because Madigan didn't want it done. Madigan only allowed uh, bills to be debated on the floor uh, in public 
Um, so taxpayers can observe what the potential legisl legislation wants to do if he wanted it to. Uh, that needs to end. <clears throat> Republicans' bills for, for years have been quashed in the Rules Committee without giving a fair, being given a fair chance. That needs to end. Um, we're going to talk about police reform uh, efforts that were passed yeah, here let's do that. Uh, in a little bit. Well, but before I get to that, one of the other legacies of the Madigan uh, era was <clears throat> introducing legislation at the last minute, hundreds, hundred-page bills um, that have that no one's been able to read, that no one's been able to see. But because of the the rules Mad Madigan set uh, in the House, that these get these things get dumped in the middle of the night, and there'd be a vote on them, and uh, the next morning. You know, just a few hours um, after it was introduced, no one, the public hasn't had a chance to see him. Lawmakers haven't had a chance to read it. That's another thing that needs to end. Yeah. So, I mean, in, in terms of priorities, let's talk about this. Do you have any inkling at all what it is that that Chris Welch uh, wants to uh, wants to focus on in this in this uh, in this legislative session, which technically began when he was sworn in? As a member of the Legislative Black Caucus, they did have um, uh, they did have an agenda that they wanted to get done going in. Some of the they got done um, during the lame duck session that mm -hmm. ended just before the swearing in. We'll talk about a little bit about that in a second. Um, there's got there's some issues he's got to deal with. We our current fiscal uh, budget, the one that ends in June 30th of this year, just a few months down the road, is four billion dollars out of whack. Uh, if 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 expenses aren't cut. Um, we're going to end this year with even more unpaid bills, meaning we're going to have to borrow more money next year on these junk on this near junk bond status credit rating, meaning higher interest rates to pay off last year's bills, and that's not even getting into next year's budget. He right. needs to right size. He needs to work with Governor Pritzker, uh, and he needs to work with his colleagues in the Senate to right size the budget, and that does not mean tax increases. That okay. means that means finding expenses to cut. As I said. During the Madigan legacy saga, Illinoisans already pay among the highest taxes in the nation. As we've seen from census data going back seven years, Illinoisans are leaving the state in droves, leaving fewer taxpayers behind. This has been a legacy Madigan problem. Uh, Chris Welsh needs to fix it, and he has to focus on spending. Uh, uh, and by spending, you mean stop spending. Stop spending, not yeah. just stop spending, cut spending. What else is, um, I mean, what else, I mean, obviously that is a massive issue for Illinois. I mean, you know, we, we do, we, we, we spend money, um, in a, in a, a comical way. I mean, you know, spending well, well, well beyond our ability. I mean, you know, in the, in the neighborhood of states, Illinois is the house that's in foreclosure that has six jet skis uh, in the garage, you know, uh, a couple Cadillacs and, uh, you know, a uh, hot tub uh, in the back. I mean, it's just the the excesses of of what we've spent on and where we've where we've made our our investments as as a state clearly not paying off in terms of generating uh, economic prosperity and, and a few and, and and a few thousand uh, political cronies and do nothing jobs that aren't yeah, needed. Absolutely, and I mean, and and I mean that you can you can use any barometer for that that you'd like, but I think that the clearest one would be out migration and more people leave Illinois in a, it's actually it's it's become in and Dan correct me on the on the time frame of this I think it's in the last five years but it could be 10 years that for every one person who's moved to Illinois two people have moved out correct what period yeah. of time is that in it's been the for the last eight years Illinois has has let has lost um, net migration meaning 
you count birds and deaths. Birds are still outweighing deaths, although, although that's sort of gotten closer to each other. But so on in terms of migration, uh, the number of people moving into Illinois versus the number of uh, people moving out is, is just it, there's a significant difference. Far more people move out of Illinois than move into Illinois. So let's let's go back into um, uh, into the lame duck session, which was uh, fascinating, um, and talk about the police reform bill that uh, that was passed. Uh, it was a massive piece of legislation um, that literally came out of nowhere. It was stuffed in what would be called a shell bill, and if you could talk about that, I think that benefits people's understanding of sort of the mechanics of, of how the legislature works, and um, effectively was rammed through by a Democrat majority. Somewhere in the neighborhood of like four twenty-five in the morning on Wednesday, Wednesday? morning. Wednesday, forget Wednesday me. morning. Yeah, right, right before they voted on their, or a few hours before they voted uh, on their new speaker. Um, so this is one of the things going back to the House rules and how Madigan ran the House and how Welsh needs to operate the House uh, differently. Illinois Illinois law uh, requires a bill for for a bill to be passed in one chamber. Um, of the legislature, either the House or the Senate, to have three public readings. And what that means is uh, um, uh, the bill is read um, on the House floor uh, before it's debated and voted on. It has to happen three times. Well, what happens under Madigan's rules is a bill would be filed that's really insignificant. It doesn't do anything. It gets its three readings in the House. um, And then Overnight, magically, the entire bill changes. Um, in this case, it was a 764-page police reform bill. It changes overnight. It's brought back to the House. Technically, it's already had its three uh, uh, legally required readings, but it's something that's completely different legislation. Um, it, it gets its reading, and then it gets voted on when most lawmakers haven't even read it. Nobody in the public's read it. Now, now I, I, want, I do want to say there are some good things in this re- police reform bill, in my opinion, um, that were passed. But the way it was passed and the fact that police uh, organizations across the state didn't have an opportunity um, to read it. It's just outrageous how it happened. That said, yeah. we can't talk about some of the details of the police re- reform bill. There are some good things in it. But it's still it's a 764-page bill that was just introduced Wednesday. We're, we're recording this on Thursday. No one's had a chance to read it even now. Right. And, and how would and how would you know, I mean, this became law upon passage. It, 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 well, it becomes law upon Governor Pritzker's signature, which right. um, as of this moment has not happened. It's right. passed both. It's passed both chambers okay. of the legislature. So assuming uh, Pritzker signs it or if Pritzker signs it, it does become law. So that right. Exactly right. So my question is, what has been the feedback thus far from uh, people who uh, oppose or people who simply have questions about the legislation? Well, law enforcement agencies, and and I haven't seen any that have come out in support of it, law enforcement agencies across the state are opposed to it. One, because they said it goes too far. Two, because they said nobody knows really what's in it and what it means. Right. Um, they said it could have a dramatic impact on public safety. Now, some of the elements, again, it's 764 pages. So who knows? Um, but some of the elements in there, I, I think, are positive as long as it was written uh, in the right way. And it gives uh, police agencies across the state the opportunity um, to tweak it, to, to weigh in, um, uh, to, to further training uh, of their officers and whatnot. But, um, for example, it ends qualified immunity for police officers. That's something that, that too many bad police officers who are members of unions have been a, been a been able to get away with bad behavior and still keep their jobs 
um, um, because the union always supports their officers, whether the bat, whether the 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 ninety nine percent majority of them who are good police officers, or the one percent of bad apples um, who do uh, deserve to be fired, who do deserve to be uh, maybe criminally prosecuted um, for for abuse and, and violence against uh, citizens or whatever. Now the question is, so I think ending immunity is a good thing, but how is this bill handling that? I don't know. I haven't read it. Yeah. Police agencies haven't read it. Right. Yeah. And I mean, in qualified immunity is a slippery slope. And, you know, without question, I mean, it, it's I think within policing itself, it's one of the most hotly debated, just singular subjects. Um, right. The, the problem, I, I guess, with taking away qualified immunity is what is it replaced with? Does the police officer who is called to, you know, a, a situation that could be potentially dangerous to uh, the, the people who you know, are in that area and, and to the officer himself or herself. Um, what, you know, what are they supposed to do in that situation? I mean, are they supposed to just stand back and watch it? Right. I mean, Please I think, I think that, that, that this is the problem with, with the elimination of, of, of qualified immunity is what do you replace it with? I mean, you know, here's the, here's the reality for policing around the state. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm torn on this subject matter, but here, here's the deal. I mean, you have some local areas around the state where that police officer that is actually on the scene doing whatever it is that they are attempting to do. And let's look at this through a positive lens, that they are trying to uh, quell a crime or prevent something uh, bad from happening. And, and you know, the reality of it is these police officers get called into the worst situations. They don't get called into the best situations. They get called into the worst situations. Right. And and the, the concern there, I, I share your concern in there. The concern there is our, our police officers who are sent into these troubling situations, sometimes violent um, situations, sometimes um, uh, escalating uh, situations that could turn violent. Are they going to start second guessing themselves and are they going to start pulling back? There's, there's absolutely no doubt. If you take qualified immunity away and, and they become potentially, you know, legally culpable for what might happen. If they attempt to intervene in in the in the commission of a crime against against person uh, or property, my guess is they won't. So you know the 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 idea that you can fix the front end of this without considering the back end of this, I think, is idiotic. And where I was going with this is, you know, you're talking about in a lot of cases in smaller towns, because not everything in this state is Chicago. Okay, we look at everything through the lens of Chicago in the through the legislature, and it's absolutely maddening for anybody who doesn't live in the city of Chicago. Okay, you have police officers who might be making fifteen, sixteen dollars an hour, and that they're going to somehow have to carry like their own liability insurance, or that we're going to have to pay for liability insurance in addition to the to the policing that we're paying for, town by town. And that somehow is going to improve the quality of safety. This is like solving for X, but not looking at the other side of the equation. And that's hugely problematic with the with the issue of qualified immunity. You can have the conversation about the strength of police unions and how police unions have played hide and seek with bad apples. And we could talk about that all day long. And I think we should. The way that this is being resolved, as I understand it, again, this is 764 pages long. Uh, that's a big, that's a book, right? Hey, that's a book. 
And, right? and, and that's exactly why the process of how legislation is passed uh, in the legislature needs to change. I, we don't know if that's addressed or not in here. We haven't had a chance to look at it. Um, well, and, and my well, guess is the way it was passed and the way it was railroaded through at the last minute, um, introduced in, at the 11th hour, you, you know, on the late Tuesday night, early uh, Wednesday morning, and then passed later Wednesday morning, um, we just, we don't know. But you raise good points. Yeah, whose community does this make safer? That would be my question. And a question that I hope the center square takes on. Um, Dan, let's talk about red light camera. I mean, I mean, as far as lame duck goes, I, I mean, what else came out of lame duck? Well, let's wrap that up and then let's move over to red light cameras. Yeah. So there, there was actually, I want to talk about the one big thing that did not pass. Yeah. Um, um, ethics reform. Yeah. There you go. Uh, 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 there was an attempt to pass some ethics reform legislation um, in the legislature during lame duck session. It did not pass. Uh, and, you know, it was it was about as watered down of ethics reform as you could get. Illinois is one of the few states in the country right now that allows a lawmaker to um, resign on Friday and go back to uh, go back to work on Monday as a lobbyist lobbying the same legislatures they were just colleagues with, you know, a couple of days mm -hmm. before. It doesn't have to be Friday and Monday. You there's can, no there's no cooling off period. There's right. no. Yeah, correct. Correct. So you, you could be a paid lawmaker uh, on Monday and then, you know, I'll just mention ComEd because of uh, their recent uh, bribery scandal involving Madigan and, and then go work for uh, ComEd on Tuesday and start pushing your former colleagues on legislation that benefits ComEd. That's ridiculous. Most states in the country ban that or at least have a cooling off period, a, a two-year cooling off period. There, uh, the ethics reform uh, measure that was um, introduced during lame duck only made it a six-month cooling-off period. You couldn't lobby the legislature until you were out of uh, your position in the legislature for six months. Mm -hmm. That seems like a no-brainer, right? Mm -hmm. Couldn't get done. Hopefully, it comes back under uh, under this, the the new legislature um, that Chris Welsh, Speaker Welsh, is going to be leading in the House. Who knows? But that's we've been talking about ethics reform in this state for years, and and you know we talked about lobbying reform is only one part of ethics reform. Ethics reform goes back to you know uh, Speaker Madigan's problem problems with um, harassment and everything else, uh, but that's that needs to get done. Anything else from uh, lame duck that uh, that sticks out to you is either having been dealt with, not having been dealt with. So they they didn't deal with ethics reform really didn't deal with the budget issues. Um, there was no um, call uh, for legislative action on, uh, inv you know, involvement in COVID mitigation. Well, well that's, that, that, that would be another one that stands out. That I mean, obviously, I mean, it's one of the biggest things going. I mean, you know, the state legislature still has not weighed in on, on COVID-19 in any, in any meaningful way. That has been uh, Governor J.B. Pritzker, um, another of another Madigan's yeah another Madigan's legacies he essentially canceled uh, last year's spring session they came together for two or three days to pass a budget but he largely let uh, Governor Pritzker um, unilaterally set COVID-19 policies shutting down businesses uh, and and essentially destroying the state's economy further worse than it already was um, that was something else that should have been brought up it needs to be 
uh, be brought up by the legislature. Legislatures across the country have been pushing back against governor's um, restrictions everywhere but Illinois. Why does why, why do things make sense everywhere else but in Illinois? I don't. I don't that's know. a great. That's a great question. Maybe we should have our own language. You know, I mean, and 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 just sort of you know, kind of break break away from um, from from everybody else in the country. <laughs> Run this as a, a totally different empire. Um. Sorry to be jumping the gun on red light cameras, but I hate this subject so very much. And I want to talk about red light cameras because from a consumer standpoint, whether you live you know, in the city or you live in the suburbs or you live in the select communities uh, around the state where red light cameras are prevalent, you know that they are, they are, they're, they're awful. I mean, it's like literally. I mean, I don't think it was like just from a bothersome or, a, you know, just like – Things that bother me. I mean, uh, I don't know. People that tap and and make tapping noises on their microphone uh, during the Illinois in Focus podcast. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? And red light cameras. <laughs> so what's going on with this? So the state's not going to withhold uh, uh, payouts on red light camera fees. So are, are, are red light camera fines enforceable? Help, help me to understand this. If I, if I, if can I start like drag racing through uh, my favorite intersection at Northwest Highway and Route 22 in Fox River Grove? Maybe do some donuts or something in the middle of that, you know, uh, in the middle of that three-way intersection, and and not have to, you know, pay the pay the price for uh, being caught on camera. So, so a little background here. This is mostly a city of Chicago and a suburban Chicago issue. More than 10 years ago, these red light cameras starting popping up in the city and the suburbs. Essentially, they're a money grab by municipalities uh, who pretend or go they out and say- They don't make the roads safer, Dan? You're, you're telling me that they don't make things safer? No. That, that, that's, the, that's the disguise that they put on these things. Red light, red light cameras are going to make people slow down and be more conscious of coming to intersections where there's a yellow light. Blah, 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 blah. They're money grabs. Um, essentially, uh, these private companies put up these uh, red light cameras. Um, and if you uh, or anyone runs a red light, they grab a picture of your license plate and you get sent a bill in the mail. Well, we've since f found out during this federal corruption probe that lawmakers have been bribed um, to pass this kind of legislation to allow these municipalities um, to put this up. Last is that, uh, is that wrong? I mean, being bribed to, 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 to put up red light cameras, is that, I just want to check. Well, here I think, in, the, in in Illinois, I mean, I just I'm, I'm holding this up to the Illinois standard. Is that is that a problem? So what what happened recently is uh, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot um, essentially said uh, that she's going to be uh, she's going to allow speeders who are caught on camera going s just six miles per hour over the speed limit to be ticketed by these cameras. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and uh, comptroller, state comptroller, to her credit. Uh, Sus Susanna Mendoza uh, announced uh, that starting February 6th, the state is no longer going to collect those fines against drivers who, who receive these uh, these tickets. So municipalities are going to be on their own, essentially, to enforce any ticketing that comes from these things. Bravo. And what, and what could they hold against you? I mean, what, 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 could a, what could the local municipality do? Could they tow your car if they find it? But like, it if you've got a zillion of these things, I mean, are they going to start sending wreckers around the city and and start pulling cars on their own if the fines aren't paid or, or i think i think they would have um 
if you live in a city and you're ticketed in the same uh, city that you live in, then then there'd be more enforcement uh, possibilities for that municipality. However, if you're you know if you live in one suburban town and you're driving through another suburban town, and you, know, you get a red light camera in that other suburban town, um, there's not much enforcement that, that can be done there. Yeah. That said, so it's a good first step. But what needs to happen is. Again, going back to rules, a number of Republican uh, House members um, have, have filed legislation in the past to ban these red light cameras across the state. They get sent to rules because obviously lawmakers are making money on it, uh, uh, making money off of it, um, uh, it, and it dies there. What needs to happen uh, under hopefully Speaker Welsh's uh, new House, um, this legislation needs to get fair public hearings because if it gets fair public hearings, um, people will come uh, and testify that these are bad, um, that it's just money grabs for these municipalities. It has nothing to do with public safety. Um, uh, so anyway, hopefully we're, we're going down that road to banning these cameras, uh, speeding cameras and red light cameras across the state. Hmm. This is a sad story. And and to be honest with you, I think it's maybe one of those stories that struck me as being, you know, I mean, per- particularly sad. And, and, and you know, of course, the the last couple of weeks, there's been plenty of things to think about around the country that, you know, that, uh, you know, bring about some feeling of, of remorsefulness or or just disappointment. Um, but this story about the kid from the Chicago suburbs, the high school quarterback who took his own life this uh, over the past uh, week or so, is maybe the saddest. Um, as as his, I believe his family has sort of pointed to the fact that he really couldn't get over the fact that he'd lost his he'd lost his uh, opportunity to to play uh, high school football. And the boy I'm speaking of uh, is Dylan Buckner from uh, Northbrook. Um, could you just kind of catch everybody up on this story? I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack here, but I mean, the, the, the short of it is talented kid, good student, um, obviously dealing with, um, you know, some level of, 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 of sadness or loss over the, the lost opportunity to, to, to play competitive sports in his, what would have been his last chance. Um, and, and he ended his life um, far too soon. Yeah, first let me let me just uh, say condolences to, to Dylan's uh, family, friends, classmates, uh, teammates. This is a tragic story. It's one that it's one that's tough to talk about, um, but it's it's one that can um, can go to the unintended consequences of uh, uh, unilateral decisions that have been made by Governor Pritzker since the pandemic began uh, last March. Illinois uh, high school athletes have not been able to participate uh, in in most any sports, most any team activities uh, that don't involve, you know, individual, just individual performances. Um, you know, we're still, we're, it's it's uh, middle of January. There's still no high school basketball, uh, Illinois. We didn't have a football season. We didn't have a high school football season last uh, last fall. Who knows what spring is going to bring? Right now, there's uh, no evidence that Pritzker is going to allow high school sports. And anyway, these high school athletes, these high school students, sports is a significant part of their lives. Um, <clears throat> they work hard. They work with their teammates. Um, 
and and it's 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 part of who they are. Some of them, some of them uh, play high school sports to hopefully get a scholarship to help pay for at least part of, or maybe fully if they're good enough, uh, their colleges. We all know how expensive college uh, is nowadays. Well, Dylan Dylan was a was an athlete who was forbidden um, from playing high school sports this year, and um, some of his teammates and some of his coaches. Um, and I don't know. I don't know Dylan. I don't know his family, but went on social media and blamed Governor Pritzker's ban on high school sports um, for for what happened to him. And we've seen all of our neighboring states. We've seen states across the country have allow high school athletics and have a football season and ha- in the middle of a basketball season, have other seasons, soccer seasons, and other sports where there have been no COVID-19 issues. Have there been maybe some breakouts um, intermittently around the country? Yes. Has anyone died from it? Not that I'm aware of. Um, And you would think that the way the media has covered COVID-19, you would think if a high school athlete dies of COVID-19 anywhere in the country, it would make national headlines. Yeah, as a consequence of of actually playing or practicing or, you know, being in in that team environment. Right. And the high schools, frankly... That that you know that managed um, to play this fall, uh, and these are high schools that have virtually. I mean, they don't have any special resources. They don't have. You know, I guess they technically would have like a team doctor or somebody that would be attached to the athletic department um, in some cases, but not all schools would have that. Certainly didn't have the testing capacities that say the NFL did, uh, or, or college football did, and in in large part. You know, the stories that you're not hearing about, you're not hearing about them because there's no story there. Those kids weren't getting sick. Right. And and when and when there were instances where COVID was a problem, the high schools acted swiftly and they and they they either took the, the entire team out or they took part of the team out. I mean, Pennsylvania, which is a, a state that's not unlike Illinois in in size, um, you know, in terms of population um, or in terms of, you know, really sort of, you know, the the makeup of the state from an economic standpoint, you know, agriculture, manufacturing, um, you know, uh, corporate headquarters, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there are a handful of teams that were eliminated from the postseason simply because the team broached or breached the COVID-19 protocol and the championships rolled right along. Right. This can be done. Um, Governor Pritzker's unilateral, unilateral, unilateral rules, just restricting everything with no input from the legislature, with no input from the general public, with no input from the Illinois High School Association. Um, it, it needs to end. He is not a dictator. <clears throat> High school athletes have safely participated in sports across the country. They can do so here in Illinois. Uh, th- this is just a, a call out to, to Governor Pritzker and any of his advisors. Please end this nonsense. Yeah, and, and, and I'll, I'll tell you what I think. On that somber note, let's just let's just call it a day. On, on behalf of everybody at uh, Franklin News Foundation and the Center Square, our most sincere condolences to the family of Dylan Buckner and all of their families um, who have been impacted by the COVID nineteen virus and the ramifications of the COVID-19 virus. You've been listening to Illinois Focus's Crosstalk segment. I'm Chris Krug. 
Joined by Dan McCaleb, now to Greg Bishop for a look at what the Center Square will be working on next week. Next week, the team at the Center Square will unpack more from some of the last-minute legislation that passed this week and how it impacts taxpayers across the state. We'll also look ahead at what some of the legislative priorities are in the new General Assembly and whether there's indication the legislative process will be more open under House Speaker Chris Welch. This has been Illinois in Focus. Find more stories online and commentary at thecentersquare.com. For the Center Square, Illinois, I'm Greg Bishop.